Hey, good morning, One Chapel. How you doing today? Hey, good. Uh, if you're thinking today, hey, Ross got a little more attractive this week. Well, I'm actually his younger brother, Brent, and uh, I'm the campus pastor for One Chapel, Kyle. We're kind of like your annoying cousins down the road. That's us. So uh, it's really great to be with you all today. Pastor Ross is in Lake Travis this morning, and so you can be praying for them and for him. Um, but it is my great joy and honor to be with you today and hang out a little bit. The ushers, they've got message notes for you, so if you didn't get those on the way in, just lift your hand up, and they would be more than happy to get those to you right away as we get started. All right. Okay, everybody, are you ready to study the scriptures? Yes or no? Good, me too. Let's just pray over it briefly, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We bless your great name. We thank you for the work that you're already doing in this place and in our hearts. In Jesus' We open up our hearts and lives for you to do everything that you want to do. So right now, in Jesus' name, would you come, fill me, speak through me, hear through them, teach us and train us from your word, and help us to become more the people of God that you want us to be. We love you and we bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Um, let me ask you a question. When, when was the last time you had a good fight? Like just a, just a really good one. Like maybe it was a coworker, um, some somebody at work this past week, or... Maybe it was with, your, uh, with a sibling, or maybe it was just on the way to church this morning, actually, as you're driving down the road trying to keep everything together. Would you just shut up? And you walk in the doors, hey, brother, so good to see you, sister, bless Jesus. Get you later, right? That, that whole thing that happens to you sometimes on the way to church. It's hard to come to church when you've got little kids. Can I get an amen from that? Yeah. Um, well, we, we want to minimize all that kind of stuff, of course, but maybe not today. I'd like to stir things up just a little bit as we get started. So I'm going to show you a couple of items on the screen here, and I want you to vote. I want you to actually participate, and I just want you to vote. You can lift your hand, you can shout, you can yell, whatever you want to do, but I just want you to tell me which one you like the best, okay? So let's start. The first one's easy. We'll, we'll enter easy. Here's the first one. This first one is Marvel or DC? Which one's better? Mar it's easy. I'll, I, have you seen Infinity War? Yeah, have you seen Justice League? Okay, that's all I need to say. You haven't seen it, Wesley? Wesley's like, don't spoil it. Well, what happens is, okay, so, yeah, that's easy. That's no problem. Most of us can agree on that. And if you are a DC fan, you're probably not willing to admit it here in this room right now. All right, so let's go to the next one. How about this one? Longhorns. <laughs> Longhorns or Aggies, okay? Oh, it's <laughs> pretty boomer. That doesn't count. That's not where we're at today. All right, so... So that, that's pretty clear. Listen, y'all, I, I have been trying to be a UT fan ever since I moved here eight years ago. They have not made it easy on me. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm working. I'm working hard. All right, how, let's go to the next one. How about Pepsi or Coke? Which one you got? Oh, a lot of Coke fans in the room. Not me. I like Pepsi. I'm totally, 100% a Pepsi fan. Oh, come on. Some of, you, some of you are like, I drink water. Well, we can't trust you. We don't know. All right, let's go to the next one. Oh, it's kind of divided. It's divided in the room today. Wow, I'm surprised by that. So how many of you say, how many of you say in and out Okay, everybody, look around real quick. They're the Californians. Let's get them out of here. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, uh, wow, that was really contested. I, I'm surprised by that. Okay, how about this one? Anybody willing to admit you're an Android fan? <laughs> Proudly. Proudly. Do that again. Please just lift your hands up one more time. All right. These are the people that need Jesus. We need to pray for them. 
need to pray that they'll actually make it into heaven because all the Apple fans, it's guaranteed. We're automatically in, so good for us. Um, one more. Let's do let's, that. That one's it's, it's been a little contested, so let, let's go one more. One more. This is maybe a little bit easier. How about you are arrive early or fashionably late? Yeah. Okay. You all said early, but you lie. You lie. You know, my wife is that kind of person. She's like, uh, five minutes is early. No, five minutes is on time. On time is late. Is that you? I, I just think it's more general guidelines, really. It's just kind of like if you can make five minutes past the time, you're good. Anybody with me on that? All right, don't look at me like that. Come on. It highlights something for us in the room today, and that is uh, people have conflict. Like you're sitting in this room today, and there are people who are absolutely opposed to the things that you like, like hotly opposed, like angry at you for the things that you like. There are clashes that are happening all over the place in the room today as we talk about just these simple kinds of things. And it highlights the reality for everybody that all relationships have conflict. All the married people said, amen. amen. Some young people are like, oh, not us. We just love each other, and it's going to be wonderful forever. We'll never fight. You just watch. Just watch. It's going to happen to you. I heard somebody say, marriage is kind of like a deck of cards. At the beginning, you got a heart and a diamond. And at the end, you just wish you had a spade and a club. <laughs> that was mean. <laughs> that was, uh, sometimes. All right. Don't look, at your, don't look at your spouse currently. That's a, just look straight ahead. Straight ahead. Look, if you spend any time around people at all, you're going to have some conflict. Like it's just going to happen to you. So we're finishing this series today, and we've called it Real Relationships. And what we're trying to do is figure out how to live our relationships in what we would call the Jesus way. Because the reality is, is that your personal life, your relational life, and your spiritual life, they're deeply connected. When Jesus was asked how to kind of summarize everything, he said it's the greatest commandment. He said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's the way that it's supposed to work. And so you, I think you could sum it up like this. You could say, you can't love God effectively without loving people, and you can't love people effectively without loving God. But I'm a little bit concerned, everybody. I'm a little bit concerned that we're adopting the values of our culture when it comes to having conflict. Like, it's become so commonplace for us just to treat each other kind of poorly. And we've been doing it for so long that it just kind of seems like it's normal. It seems like we're doing it the right way. But reality TV should not be the defining factor for how we treat one another in relationships. <laughs> you, you shouldn't be getting your relational lessons from The Bachelor, okay? That's just... That's a disaster and a train wreck. Some of you are like, I watch that show every day, why? But it's okay, we're praying for you, it's okay. The hostility of the culture wars that we live in it can't be the primary influence for followers of Jesus. And also, it seems like we just kind of live, we live on the steady diet of news feeds and social media streams. And have you noticed, like as you walk around, it just kind of seems like everybody's kind of already at an eight when they're walking around. There's like this seeming angst in everybody's life, and like they just go to 10 really quick. Have you noticed this? Like it's never more clear than when you're on I-35, you know what I'm saying? And you're driving up, and you're like, get out the left lane, bro. Like that whole thing happens to you. It just seems like it goes really quick. People just, boom, they just kind of explode. You're like, hey, take it easy, man. Like uh, that's too much retaliation for what's going on here in the circumstance. 
There's like this seeming angst that's underneath everything for people. I can tell you that in my relationship, my, my, my relationship with my wife, we've had one or two pretty good fights. Let me tell you about one of the ones that I remember that was kind of the best one. Uh, we'd probably been married for about two years. And in those two years, I had proven myself to be okay with money, if you know what I'm saying. And so I would sometimes, I was, I was working at a church in Colorado, and so I would sometimes have to use our credit card to buy something. I wouldn't always necessarily get it, you know, get the receipts turned in and get the money back to put on our card. And I'd kind of proven myself to not be super responsible on occasion, okay? And, and some, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, so uh, Maria, she's very responsible. She's incredibly responsible. And so she did not like this about me. I don't know why. And so... So one day, she comes to me and she says, hey, I just wanted to let you know, we got our new credit cards in the mail. They're here because the old ones are expired, so we got the new ones. And I said, oh, great. Here, just give it to me and I'll just put it in my wallet. And she said, no. <laughs> no? No. I'm not giving it to you. you. You've not been responsible. I'm not giving it to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't think you understand how this works, right? Uh, I am the man of the house. <laughs> how many know that argument didn't go over very well? <laughs> and we stood there in the hallway to our house and just had it out, like just explosive, like, oh, like rage coming out. And you are not the boss of me, like really mature conversations that we were having. And through tears and through... through <laughs> Through uh, angst, she finally said, um, okay, but you haven't done a good job. I need you to do better. And I heard her, and she, she let me have it. Thanks, dear. And I put it in my wallet, and I ran away. But that was probably the worst fight that Maria and I have ever had. And if you think back over your history, you've had them too. What causes all of this conflict? What's behind all of it? You're thinking, I already know what causes it. It's him. Like, he's right there. This is the source of all my problems. You're thinking, it's her. She's the one that does it. You're thinking, it's my boss. It's my coworkers. No, it's my rebellious kid. No, it's my next door neighbor. He doesn't get it. It's them. But as you read in, you, you read in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 1, here's what it says. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, we want to say, it comes from them. They're the problem. It's their fault. They just need to be better, and everything will be okay. But God says, actually, I want to start with you. I'm not so concerned about them. I would like to start... With you, don't fights and quarrels come from the battles that rage inside of you? Doesn't it come from your desires that aren't necessarily fulfilled? You're like, no, it's the Republicans. <laughs> no, it's the Democrats. It's them. It's their problem. It's my boss. It's my spouse. God, you've got to fix them. They're a total disaster. See, we keep trying to change others, but God just wants to change us. We keep trying to change other people and make them be better. And God just saying, hey, I just, just want to change you. I just want to work on you. And some of us actually, I think, have removed the option for relational freedom from our lives because we've made that freedom dependent on what the other person's going to do. 
if they fix it, then, then it'll be okay and our relationship can be okay and I can move forward. But that may never happen. You can't place your freedom in the hands of somebody else. You've got to let God start with you. And so when we don't do that, we've got all these things that crop up that cause conflict. You've got poor communication. You know, most conflicts, they start out really small, like whether the toilet paper goes over or under. Like these are married illustrations, obviously, but you single people, you don't know nothing about that, but, but it's coming. They start out really small, but it gets piled on by the way we communicate with each other. You guys, I just think we've become too loose with our words and maybe much too loose with our typing fingers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't blow the belt on that one. I just think, uh, dads, moms, we, we create the culture of our homes by the words that we say and the tones that we have. The way that we communicate to our children, the way that we communicate to one another, you are setting, you are creating a culture in your home. And we have the opportunity to create something beautiful and godly and forward-moving or the opportunity to create something that's harmful and destructive and hurtful. Our communication really matters. I heard a husband say uh, to his wife, I heard the story, he said, I don't know how, you could be, how God could make you so beautiful and so stupid at the same time. <laughs> That's poor communication. <laughs> the wife said, oh, I understand it. I can explain it to you. Right? He made me beautiful so that you'd be attracted to me. He made me stupid so I'd be attracted to you. <laughs> that also is poor communication. <laughs> don't write that in your notes and don't take that home. That's not going to be a good idea. Psalm 141.3 says, set a guard over my mouth. Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. You guys, that's what some of us need. We just need the Lord to kind of put the filter on, you know what I'm saying? And help us to communicate well. Maybe unfulfilled expectations. Pretty much all anger comes from those. That's what James was getting at. I wanted something and I didn't get it. I deserved it and I was denied. I expected an easy commute up I-35 and I didn't get it. Well, it's never going to happen. You need to let that one go. I deserve a nice peace and the neighbor's dumb dog won't shut up. Or I thought my marriage was going to be this beautiful picture of, of what it's supposed to look like and it's not been that. Why not? Most of the time, we're just expecting too much from other people. We're putting too much on them and we're expecting them to, to give us what only God can give us. And they'll never be able to do it. They'll never be able to match up. They'll never be able to fulfill you. And so we've got these unfulfilled expectations causes conflict maybe it's despising differences you know those things that you used to love one about one another when you first got engaged and got married and you're just thinking you're thinking that that beautiful line from that wonderful movie you complete me you complete me shut up shut up you had me at hello you know what i'm saying you know that you know that you remember the movie it's rated r i've never seen it but pastor ross told me about it but <laughs> It's Jerry something. Anyway, <laughs> never has there been a more beautiful cinematic moment that was such a lie. <laughs> no human being was ever created to complete another human being. And now you get married and all these things that you thought were your completion, now they're just annoying the mess out of you. Now you're just mad about it all the time and frustrated. Maria and I, we're complete opposites. When, when I'm hot, she's cold. When, when she, she wants to go outside and walk in the trees in nature, and I want to sit inside and watch a movie. We got married, and she's like, hey, let's go outside. I'm like, why? There aren't movies outside. Why would we do that? And she took me by the hand and led me outside, and I was like, ooh, what, are, what is this? This is outside. It's nature. It's nice. Can we go inside now? Like she, 
we're complete opposites. And over time, she's added such great value to my life as I've appreciated and celebrated the differences that she brings to me. And we're becoming this whole package together. And it's a wonderful thing. Mark 3.25 says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So don't despise those differences. Celebrate them. And we could have started with this one, and this kind of sums it all up. But sin nature, it causes so much conflict. All of us have this sin nature. People are fallen. Why are we expecting people to act like something they're not? We hold ourselves to one standard, and we expect another standard out of them. We want grace. And instead of applying grace to other people, we just want judgment for them. We want them to suffer. But Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And there are other things. There's pride and hurt feelings and selfishness and jealousy and misunderstanding. Here's the thing. All relationships have conflict, but real relationships live the Jesus way. They work through it. They learn how to work through it. All relationships have conflict. All of us are going to fight. But good relationships learn how to fight clean and to work it out, and they don't give up. It's only the bad relationships that don't bother. It's only the bad relationships that hit below the belt or decide, I'm just going to quit. There are several ways that we typically deal with conflict if we're just kind of left on our own. And, and as I say this, you'll kind of recognize yourself in some of them. Some of you, you just handle it my way. It's my way. You'll find yourself saying something like this. I'm the dad. That's why. I'm the man of the house. That's why. Again, poor strategy. I'm the boss. That's why we're going to do it this way. You're the kind of people you just really love conflict. And you're kind of proud of it. Oh, I just love conflict. We kind of think you're mean, actually. But... but but you just want to do things my way. You just run over the other person. No interest in what's best or you just want what you want. Or maybe you're the kind of person that handles it your way. Oh, I don't want to cause too much of a problem. It doesn't matter. Just whatever you want to do is fine with me. You know where you see this most often? Have you ever tried to get a group of people together and decide where to go to eat? Oh, my gosh. It's just a nightmare. It's like, just make a decision already. Oh, I don't care. What do you like? Oh, let's go to Whataburger. Oh, I don't really like that. Okay. <laughs> and what you're doing is you're just trying to keep the peace, but actually inside you're kind of miserable because you're always giving it away. And if you keep doing that, eventually you're going to end up resentful because you don't get your way. Maybe you just try it halfway. Well, let's just, let's just kind of meet in the middle. We'll just be friends. We'll just kind of work it out. And it seems like it works, except for really you're just mostly angry 50% of the time. Like that's, that's kind of the way it's turning out for you. Or maybe you do it God's way. God does have a way, everybody. And God's way is allowing him to access and work in your heart first. God's way is humility, it's forgiveness, it's surrender, it's sacrifice. Galatians 2.20 kind of highlights God's way. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is God's way. I've been crucified. I don't live any longer. It's Christ that lives and works and moves in me. You understand how this works, right? Dead people don't get jealous. Dead people aren't insecure. Dead people don't have to have their own way. Dead people are kind of finished with all of it. And I think that's what he's looking for. Dead people don't get mad. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, hey, listen, I want you to know, I die every day. I die every day. I'm in a continual process of giving up my rights. I'm in a continual process through the cross of Jesus to surrendering, to releasing my will. I'm giving it over. Look, conflict can't continue if you don't participate. 
Conflict can't keep going if you decide, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to do it. And even if that person never wants to change, listen, as you die to yourself, you can still do this. And most of the time, as you do that, you can still come back together and find healing. I know that's not what you wanted to hear today. That's not what you were hoping for. You wanted God to change them. But he just keeps saying, I want to change you. But I think it even gets more difficult than this. Because in our culture, we're dealing with a lie that really kind of poisons any healthy conflict we may want to have. Here's the lie. It's, if you disagree with me, you don't love me. If you disagree with me, you don't love me. You, everybody, this is one of the most destructive concepts in our culture today. It's stolen away from us the idea of what love actually is and how it's supposed to work. Instead, in our culture, love has become synonymous with agreement. So, so if you love me, you're going to agree with me. Or if you agree with me, then obviously you love me. But if you don't support my decisions, then, then obviously you don't love me. If you don't agree with my politics, then obviously we can't be friends. Uh, since you don't agree with my lifestyle, it's pretty obvious we're going to be enemies. And it's a lie. We have become so thin-skinned and hard-hearted towards one another. And what we really need to be is tough-skinned and soft-hearted towards one another. Why are we so polarized? Why do we end up at this position where we kind of say, I not only can't stand your point of view, I can't stand you because of your point of view. And it's wrong. It's foolishness. It's foolishness to think that we can't love somebody and disagree at the same time. You don't believe me? Listen, and it's the clearest in parenting. Like you see it all the time with your kids. Parents, do you agree with your kids all the time? No, they're little monsters sometimes. They want to eat all the stuff that they shouldn't eat. And you're in, a, you're in a serious clash with them over whether or not you're going to have donuts on Saturday or broccoli. I don't know. That's kind of what we do at my house. It's weird. But you're in this clash all the time, but you love them. You can see it happen in marriage. Maria and I, I just told you, we're opposites. I've told you about fights that we've had. And, and we clash, but I love her in the middle of it. It's possible to do it. You can see it happening in really good and strong friendships. I had a couple friends in college, John and Glenn, and we, we, we kind of lived this out a little bit where, where we kind of run into some disagreements, and we'd run into a situation where the other guy's been kind of a jerk a little bit, and so we'd all get in the car, and we'd drive off, and we say, hey, let's go grab dinner, and if the two guys in the front said, hey, where do you want to go? Oh, let's go to Bennigan's. Bennigan's? Yeah, Bennigan's. Let's go to Bennigan's. You knew if you were going to Bennigan's and it wasn't your idea, you were the jerk, and you were about to get talked to at Bennigan's. <laughs> and we would drive to Bennigan's, and we'd sit at the table, and something, oh, something about eating a Monte Cristo sandwich. Oh, Monte Cristo. It's about eating a Monte Cristo while somebody tells you what a jerk you've been. It just helps it go down a little easier. <laughs> and I had lots of those conversations with those guys, and I participated in those conversations with them. We said, hey, we don't agree with the way that you're acting, but we want you to know we love you, and we support you, and we want to help you because we're on your side. We're committed to you. That's what we're after. So here's the big idea. Conflict is the byproduct of love. It's not an opposition to. It's a byproduct of love. They're, they're actually more like partners. Like they work hand in hand. Like they kind of flow together. It, hap it happens that way, and it, it, it really can work. If I love you, there's going to come a time when I'm going to disagree with you. It's just going to happen. And if you love me, I think there's a time that will come where you will disagree with me. But that does not have to be the end of our relationship. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
You want those wounds from a friend. You want somebody who loves you and is friendly to you. You want them to tell you what's going on and help you see things about yourself that you couldn't see without them. If your enemy is the, per the first person to point out your flaws, you probably don't have enough friends. <laughs> like if people are coming at you and saying, you're this and you're that, and no one else has ever talked to you about that before, there's a good chance you don't have enough real friends who can be honest with you. It's kind of like, have you ever walked around and you got spinach in your teeth? You ever experienced that? You're kind of walking around and you're hanging out with your friends and you're having lunch and stuff. And then you leave lunch and then you go and you're at some business meeting and there's somebody else and you're kind of wrestling out and working over a contract. And they're like, you, you, got some, you got something right here, man. You got something right here. What? You just spent an hour with your friends and they didn't say anything. That's not real friendship. Tell people when they got spinach in their teeth. It's important. And in every area of their life, tell people, dude, you got a little spinach in your teeth. Let me help you. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be your best friend right now. And I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to love it, but I, I want to help you because I'm committed to you. We all need people that will say that to us. And we all need to be the kind of people who are willing to say that to others. But oftentimes, you have this conflict that happens. You have this wound or this hurt. And it's just the beginning. Something else happens after that. After that initial wound, something else happens if you don't deal with the conflict right away, and it's called a secondary offense. And secondary offenses, they often just make things so much worse. You end up with a secondary offense that comes after the first offense. There's a second one or a third one. It's another wound. And most of the time, it's actually unintentional. Like, they don't even know that it happened. But it's a word or it's an action that reinforces the previous hurt that you experienced. And you become convinced that the motives of that other person are truly heinous. They've got it out for you and they're trying to destroy you. Like this, you've, you've got a conflict with a coworker. You kind of go at it and it's pretty rough. And then you find out that there's a project that you didn't get invited to that she's on. And so you're thinking, oh, well, that's it. Okay, fine, you're not gonna involve me in the project. Okay, fine, I'm gonna eat all the bagels in the workroom, you get none, right? You're trying to make them the worst enemy. And then you find out she had nothing to do with who got selected for the project. But you received the secondary offense out of it. Or you've got a neighbor and the fence crashes down and you're kind of in a fight over it and he's pretty mean about it and he doesn't want to pay and so, so you end up, then you find out he throws a party and you're not invited to the party. Oh, I see how it is. Okay, well, we'll see. You know what? I'm going to hire the person to, to fix the fence and I'm going to hire the most expensive person that I can and you're going to pay for it, right? So, so, so you've got this dynamic where you're railing at him and then you find out, oh, wait, what's that under the fridge? And it's your invitation to the party. Oh. You know what I'm talking about. You receive a secondary offense, and it's unintentional. It, it really, they didn't mean for it to happen. It's where unintentional and accidental things happen to reinforce the offense, and it keeps you offended, hurt, and angry. Now listen to me, please. You need to be aware of these, because this is one of the enemy's best tactics to get you. This is one of the things that he will use in all of your relationships, and he'll use right here in our church. It's, it's, a, it's a strategic move to capitalize on our fears and our insecurities. We jump to incorrect conclusions, and it's fueled by our own insecurities or our own unmet expectations. And our relationships deteriorate, and sometimes they just disappear. And that doesn't have to be the case. And we become the saying, hurt people hurt people, and are easily hurt by others. We don't need to be those kinds of people because everybody, there is hope. That's kind of all the bad news. As we end here, are you ready for the good news? Okay, you guys are, so I'm gonna talk to you. Are you ready for some good news, yes or no? The good news is that Jesus gave us specific instructions 
about the way that we are to handle conflict, especially within the church. And so we can learn right here. We can practice it. We can understand it before we go and we do it out there at work, at school, uh, with your friends. But far too often we miss out. We don't follow these instructions. Here's what they are in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. In the message version, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. Isn't that good, everybody? Oh, man, I love that. There's an order to working out conflicts within the church. It's simple. It's easy. But it's so profound and so powerful if we will actually do it. The first thing he says is, what are you going to do? If you want a real, real relationship, you're going to engage in careful and courageous conflict, you go to them in private. That's what he said. Go to them in private. Now, would you please notice something with me? Who is the one that got hurt? It's me. Who did it? They did. They hurt me. Who's the one that's supposed to go? It's still me. <laughs> I'm not waiting on them. I'm not saying, well, someday if they come back, then I'll forgive them. If they come back and say, I'm sorry, then I'll forgive them. No, he hurt you. Now you go to him. And you talk to him about it. Go to them in private. But we don't do that. We like to prayer gossip. Oh, you guys, we just need to pray for Bill. <laughs> oh, Lord, help Bill because he's such a jerk. And you know what he did the other day. Like, you, 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 you've been in those prayer circles before? And you're like, oh, Lord, I don't think this is good. <laughs> or you go tattletale to the pastor. Pastor, I just need to tell you about this. You don't need to say anything, but do you know what Bill did? You kind of tattletale, it feels good to kind of get it off your chest. You kind of rat out Bill under the guise of how Bill really needs help. Or even better, you post it on Facebook, and it's just general enough that, that they know who you're talking to. But not so much that you're going to get in trouble by being so direct to them. Yeah, it's quiet in here. <laughs> no. Don't do that. Go quickly and take care of it. Go to them. Don't wait until later. This is so much easier to do if you just do it first. Something happens, you just go to them. It gets much more difficult as time goes on. And by the way, he said, go to them, and I think it matters. Don't send them a text. Hey, bro, just wanted to see you. Okay, just want to tell you that you kind of hurt my feelings. Don't do that. Don't send an email about it. Don't do that. Go to him. You can't tell tone. You can't tell body language in a text or an email. Don't do that. Sit and talk in person. Is he joking? Is he being passive aggressive with me? You're just going to make it worse. Marie and I talk about this all the time because man texts and woman texts are different. If we're driving down the road and she's got my phone, I'm like, hey, just text them really quick, please, and tell them that we're going to be five minutes late because I arrive fashionably late. So tell them we're going to be late. And she's like, okay, we're going to be late. Just say this. I'm going to be late five minutes. Okay. That's kind of mean. Don't you want to put like a kissy face and like some emojis behind it so they know that you're okay? I'm like, no, it's to Ross. Don't send him that. We don't send kissy face emojis. And her emails are like, I love you so much. You're the best. I'm going to be five minutes late. Okay, can't wait to see you. Kiss, kiss emoji. Like it's craziness. Don't do that. And listen, if you go to them in this world, just going them to communicates to them how important this relationship really is to them. 
It says, man, this means so much to me. I want to take care of this. And what happens is your relationship, it grows deeper. You know why? Because this is the way that Jesus designed it to work. The second thing he says is if that doesn't work, then bring one or two friends. Just have them come along and go with people who will be helping, helpful and loving, not just people who are going to be on your side. Hey, guys, I want you to come with me because we're going to go be the mess out of Bill because <laughs> he's been a jerk. No, find people who will be loving and helpful. And don't gossip about it. Gossip can be true, but still be hurtful. Like, be a part of the actual solution. I think this is why couples get marriage counseling, because sometimes you just need somebody else to kind of help you hear and help you communicate more effectively. So get some friends to both of you to go and talk about it. And then he says, but if that doesn't work, well, let the church help bring peace. Like, talk to somebody at the church that can actually help you. Take it to somebody in authority that can provide helpful leadership to your situation. That requires a great deal of trust. I understand that. That can be hard because some of you have experienced conflict within churches. So I get all of that. And it'll take time for you to develop trust. But I'm telling you, we have elders here. We have staff people here. We have leaders here who are more than happy and very capable in the spirit of God to help you navigate those kinds of conflicts. And so just ask them. And remember, just because you have a conflict doesn't mean automatically that your relationship is unhealthy. It doesn't have to mean that. Every relationship has conflict. But here in this church, we're going to use Matthew 18 as the guideline for how we do this. And the fourth thing he says, okay, if they still don't do it, then treat them like somebody who needs repentance and love. When you read this in the NIV, it says, you know what it says? It says, treat them like a pagan or tax collector. And as you grow up, you kind of think, oh, that means treat them like jerks. Like <laughs> it seems like this adversarial relationship, and that's not what it is at all. It simply means that that relationship becomes a little more transactional. You treat them like somebody who is still in need of repentance, somebody who's still in need of love. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? He sat and ate with them. He spent his life with them. He loved them. Everybody, these four things, this is it. This is what we're called to live out in the church and to practice here and then go out and live it out in the world. And you, with the Spirit of God leading you, you can do this. This is the Jesus way. So think back over your conflicts. Think back about the way that you've handled things in the past and ask yourself, have I lived this out with my offenses, with my secondary offenses? And what am I willing to do to correct that? And how am I gonna live in the future? Take this, write it down, write it down on your phone, carry it with you, and when you experience something, go to it and start working the process. And you'll find some incredible relationships. Don't skip, don't skip. Don't, don't find an offense and then go, well, I'm gonna go straight to the church, I'm gonna tell the church on them. Don't do that, go to them in private and talk about it and work the steps that Jesus gave us. Now, as we close, and we're gonna go here in just a second, but I wanna give you just two things, two things to help you hopefully keep conflict to a minimum. I think if you do these two things, it'll just help you moving forward. And the first is, it's just a simple question, a simple phrase, and I want you to start practicing it in your marriage, at work, with your friends. It's this, hey, are we okay? Just ask that question. Hey, are, are we okay? You know, it's kind of like this. You leave a meeting and you, you had a conflict with a coworker and you get in the car and you drive away and you kind of go, you know, that got a little bit rough. I'm just, I'm just gonna call him. Hey man, are we okay? Oh, uh, man, thanks for calling. I really appreciate that. Yeah, that, that did get a little rough, and, and, and it seems like you, you kind of say that stuff to me a lot, and it hurts my feelings. And I, 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 don't, I don't want that between us. Man, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was coming across like that. Do you see it? 
You know what happened to that relationship? That relationship just went deeper. It just gained an immense amount of trust moving forward. It's not a massive conflict. It's just you saying, hey, are, are we okay? And being humble and courageous enough to talk about it if you're not. Which leads me to the second and the final thing. And it's this idea, this, we just call it the, <laughs> say the final 10%. I think that in most conflicts and most circumstances, we're about 90% honest with one another. We kind of tell everybody, yeah, this is what happened and this is what I think, but there's just a little 10%, you know what I'm talking about? A 10% of how you really felt about the situation. A 10% about how you really felt about that scenario. So just be willing to say the final 10%. Just ask the question, hey, could I have your permission to have a final 10% conversation with you? Could we really talk about the, the real issue here? And, and you might say, no, man, not right now, because I had a rough day, and I'm just not in a good space for that to happen. And they might say, yeah, let's, let's do that. All my Bennigan's conversations that I told you about with my buddies, that those were final 10% conversations. I want to tell you what I think is really going on in your heart and life, and, and we want to help you. So let's be willing. Look, it's a lot easier to live in a shallow and false community than it is to do all these things. It's a lot easier to just tell the 90%. It's a lot easier to just kind of hang out and, and be, yeah, hey, we're good, we're good, we're good, but you're not good on the inside. Let's be the kind of church that just decides we're going to have these conversations. We're going to follow Matthew 18. Why don't you close your eyes for a second? Because I just want to ask you this final question. To all this information, what, what's your response to all this? What's your response? No doubt about it. As I've been talking, you have had a, a bunch of circumstances and a bunch of conflicts and something that happened today or this week or this past month that's risen up in your mind. What do you want to do with that? What's your response to Matthew 18? One Chapel, would you take personal responsibility for the unity of our church? Would you just decide, I'm going to take personal responsibility to make sure that this church is unified, that God's blessing is on this church? And I'm going to do it by following Matthew 18 when I get upset. I'm going to do it by saying, hey, man, are we okay? I'm going to do it by talking about the final 10%. What if one chapel started to get a reputation for how it handled conflict? What if we started to be known for the love that we have for one another? I think Jesus said that the world would know that we're his disciples because we love each other. Psalm 133 talks about how how when there's unity, it commands God's blessing. You all, you want that for our church. And we want that for our church. So what's your response? Do you need to send a text to start the conversation? Hey, can we meet up? Hey, can we grab coffee? Do you need to just reach out and ask somebody to talk? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. <laughs> Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody else. What are you willing to do? With your eyes closed here really quick, I just want to ask you a couple questions. The first is very simple. Probably there are some of you in the room that are in conflict, but you're in conflict with God himself. 
you've kind of found yourself opposed to him for whatever reason, and you found yourself kind of far from him, maybe you've gotten mad at him because your life didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to. Maybe you've decided to just kind of make your own decisions and live your own life. I don't know. But you found yourself in a space where that relationship is torn. And you are separated and you're distant. And everybody, that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. It breaks that relationship. Maybe it's just that you've never decided, hey, I, I really want to know you, God, and I want to give my life over to you. I want to believe in your son Jesus. I want to believe in all the things I've heard about, the cross and how you died for me. And you paid the bill so I don't have to pay the bill for my sins. I want that. If you find yourself in conflict this morning with God himself and you want to write that relationship, you've got to write that relationship before you can write these other ones. So if that's you, would you be real courageous and honest and bold? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to send you back to a weird room. I'm not going to do any of that. I just want you to make a decision in your seat. And I'm going to pray for you by simply lifting your hand. Would you be bold and courageous just to put your hand up and put it down? Brent, I feel like I'm in conflict. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Who else? Come on, just, just, yeah, awesome. Good for you. Who else? Who wants to join us in a prayer? Just put it up. Yeah, right on. Who else? Good for you. Who else? Just put it up and put it down. You don't have to keep it up. Just It's your decision. Count me in. I, I want to pray about this. Put your hand up. Put it down. Anybody else? One more question for you, and that is, maybe you've identified, I've got some conflict, and I didn't follow Matthew 18, and I'm ready. Oh, it's going to be a hard week, but I'm ready. Jesus, I need your grace to do it this week. I want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand up? Just let me know so I can pray for you. Just put it up. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Put it up. That's really good, man. Anybody else? I'm going to pray this prayer, and I just want you to pray it with me. You don't have to pray the exact words I do, but just pray some ideas like this. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you. Jesus, we worship you, and I pray today that you would forgive me. I come to you in faith, asking you to forgive me for my sins. I've been in conflict. I've run away. I've pushed back. I've been angry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Today, I want to give my life over to you. So I decide to give you my everything, and I ask you to come, be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my soul, and forgive me for my sins. I turn away from the life that I've been living, and I turn into new life in you. Thank you in Jesus' name. And Lord, for the conflicts in the room that need to move forward, Lord, I pray for your grace for them today. I pray that you would help them. I pray that they would have wisdom, that they would have tact, that they would have courage, and that the love of Christ would fill and compel them to move forward and take care of every one of those relationships. I pray for good reports of solid relationships and unity within the church because you're at work. I pray for marriages to be restored. I pray for parents and kids to be restored. I pray for coworkers to be restored. Father, I pray for restoration and reconciliation in our relationships in Jesus' name. Let healing flow. And we honor you and we thank you for it and we receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, that's really, really good, everybody.